This is NBA Sound System Live, featured on NBA.com sites around the world and archived on the NBA Sound System podcast feed, where you get your podcasts by searching NBA Sound System. Thank you for joining us. Follow us on Twitter, Instagram, and Facebook, each with the handle at NBA Sound System, or visit us at NBASoundSystem.com for more. Now, NBA Sound System Live. Welcome to another edition of NBA Sound System. One week away, just one week away from playoff games. I can't wait. A lot to do today. Myself, Scott Rafferty on hand. Right before we started, we got a Shams bomb. Shams Sharanya tweeting out that the NBA will name a player of the seeding games and an all-seeding game team. Top honors for the top performers during the Disney bubble. Scott, we've seen some incredible performances across the board. You mentioned TJ Warren. You can mention Devin Booker. You could talk about Michael Porter Jr., but let's get into it. Who would be your player of the seeding games if you had to pick one right now? The the two names that come to mind are Devin Booker and TJ Warren. But as good as TJ's been, look, Booker's led this, the, the Suns to a 6-0 start. I think everyone counted them out, even being you know an option in the play-in tournament. I think most uh, models had them at like a 1% chance to actually make the playoffs. And they're knocking on the door right now. So I think, you know... You look at the numbers that he's been posting up, the, the way that the Suns have been playing, the shots that he's hit, that huge shot against the Clippers to win the game. Uh, I, I think it's hands down Devin Booker right now. Yeah, I, I agree with you on, on that one. Uh, with uh, with Devin Booker, he, he's been incredible. He has the Suns, as you said, um, you know, in in position to make the postseason uh, for the first time in a long time, especially for the first time in his career. He has not played in the playoffs yet. Um, they have a big game as we record today at 4.30 Eastern time. That tips off against the 76ers. They win. They can continue to uh, be in the mix to try and sneak in to the playoffs in the bubble. This is what the bubble was all about. I mean, you get hot and you never know what can happen. People were kind of rolling their eyes when the Phoenix Suns made it. Uh, but they might be a team that will be able to sneak into the postseason. Uh, let, let's talk quickly about Zion Williamson and the Pelicans because that was a team everyone picked uh, would potentially uh, you know, uh, knock out the Memphis Grizzlies of that eighth spot. They are already eliminated. Uh, they did not have a great showing in the bubble. Um, they kind of dragged their feet in the bubble. They got out the gate losing their first two. Granted, there were two tough matches, the Utah Jazz, the Clippers, um, they did not show up against that in that Clippers game at all. They got really trounced, and then they got crushed by the Sacramento Kings, and really that's where it ended for them. Uh, they have two games remaining. Don't know if we'll see much Zion there, but in the six games, and I know he didn't play all six, but in six games where Zion was you know, able or available to play, what did you see out of him? Ooh, um I don't think there's any other way to put it than it, it than it was a disappointment because, like you were saying, a lot of people projected this Pelicans team to really push to make the play in tournament. And Zion, I mean, those 19 games he played before the season was suspended was just incredible. Um, again, 19 games is a relatively small sample size, but he was basically putting up numbers we hadn't seen from a rookie since Shaquille O'Neal. And you know, he he couldn't really hit an outside jump shot not a good free throw shooter, all these other things, and yet he was still one of the most dominant players in the league, just of sheer raw talent. The bubble was a little bit of a different story. Look, he he was on a minutes restriction. I don't really know what was going on with him in that regard, because there was a lot of talk about him being in the best shape of, you know, his NBA career so far, kind of going into this bubble. 
Um, but I mean, he, he didn't look that great when he was on the call on both ends, even though he put up um, some big numbers in those last three games. And man, you look at the, the on-off numbers, the, the Pelicans were outscored by 24.9 points per 100 possessions with him on the court in the five games he played, uh, which I don't think I need to tell you is absolutely abysmal. Um, I This by no means, I'm not down on Zion just because of these five games, um, but it, it definitely was not the bubble that him or the Pelicans were expecting. Yeah, it, it definitely was not from Zion's perspective. In my opinion, I thought he showed up to the bubble out of shape. Uh, I thought that he, you know, really let uh, his team down um, with his play on the floor, especially on the defensive end. We're not going to talk about his offense. His offense has been incredible, but defensively, and I think that's where it really shows up when you're out of shape is defensively. We've all played basketball. We know that uh, it's it's a different type of shape that you got to be in basketball wise. But when you're not in shape. Uh, in general, and then you try to get into basketball shape, that's just a double whammy. It just doesn't happen for you that fast. And, uh, you know, granted, it obviously comes with a huge caveat because we don't know what happened in his personal life and the reason why he left the bubble. A lot of things could be on this young man's mind. So I'm saying that, I know I'm saying this with uh, understanding that a lot of it, his play may have something to do with, with, uh, you know, whatever happened off the court. So I, I do have to, you know, keep that perspective in mind. But uh, you know, in, in terms of what we saw of him from the on the defensive end, um, and not just him, the entire Pelican squad. I don't want to put it all on him because the Pelicans have really good defenders. You have Drew Holiday, you have Lonzo Ball. I know the numbers say that Derek Favors is a good defender. Um, I'm not gonna, I'm not gonna, uh, you know, I'm not gonna go there with that one. But uh, they they have decent defenders. But for them to be as bad defensively as they were in those six games, knowing that they had to come to a come to the bubble with a certain level of play uh to try and punch their ticket to a playoff you know appearance um you know that's that's just a, a complete failure uh in my opinion from from that team and uh you know for for the Phoenix Suns when you look across and you see the Phoenix Suns being in a position that they're in taking the game seriously and uh, and trying to get into the playoffs and then on the complete reverse, you had the Pelicans who had everything going their way where, you know, they just had to get within four games of the, the AC to get into the play-in tournament. They also had the easiest schedule uh, coming in, and everyone felt like the, the red carpet was rolled out for them to be in, in a first-round series against the Lakers. And we don't even get them uh, competing for that ninth seed. It, like, it's over for them with a week, you know, a week left in the regular season. That's a pretty poor performance from the Pelicans, and 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 not only them, but Zion should be disappointed, uh, especially with all the hype that he got. I mean, people were trying to compare this dude to LeBron James, all right, and uh, it's pumped the brakes on that. It's been he hasn't even played thirty games in his career, and we're we're trying to put him in the same class as LeBron James. How about getting shape? The defense stuff is really weird with them because I'm with you. I, I don't know if I think this team should be like I don't have the expectations that this team would be elite defensively. But they should be decent at the very least. Because like you're saying, Lonzo Ball's a good defender. Drew Holiday's a good defender. Favors is probably overrated defensively by the numbers because basically every single season he's been the team's been so much better with him on the floor. But they have very like smart, competent guys. Um, and I, I did a deep dive into Zion's defense uh, during the hiatus. And, and the thing that jumped out to me, like we, when he was playing at Duke, this guy was basically one of the best defenders in the country. Um, he was switching on to basically every single position. He's protecting the rim. I think we all saw that huge block that he had on that like corner three in one of those games. 
And I remember coming into the game, he was projected to be this kind of Draymond Green type defender. Um, I, I don't think he will ever be that kind of defender simply because one, he puts way too, there's so much more pressure on him offensively to carry a team. And secondly, I don't think he can really be the rim protector that Draymond was. But peak Zion is, you know, 25 plus points per game on offense, while at least being able to switch one through five to the point where you can play him at center. And you're right. Right now, he's nowhere near to that kind of player. And it does make him a little bit tricky to build around um, defensively. So I think that that's that's a big thing for the Pelicans moving forward. And obviously, it just it was a big reason why they were not able to kind of meet the expectations in this bubble. Yeah, um, it, it's a long. I know. I know. There's a long way before they get to being the team that everyone expects them to be. But uh, you know, they had an opportunity to kind of fast forward that that growth, and it just didn't happen for them. Uh, a reminder that NBA Sound System is brought to you by our friends over at Sound System FC. A great episode out this week. Lawrence and Bo talk about Juventus and the Champions League quarterfinals. The spotlight is on the Champions League. Get your Heinekens ready. UEFA Champions League football is uh, always good stuff. And uh, I'm sure they have a review of what's happening with that uh, new CBS app for everyone to uh, to enjoy us at least on this in, in this country in, in the United States where uh you know you, you can watch all games now streaming on that new app. Um NBA or sorry, Sound System FC. If you have not subscribed, go into the iTunes app, search Sound System FC, subscribe right now, tell them that we sent you. That's we being NBA Sound System. All right. Um Zion, we said he is a star. I mean, he's going to be a star. He's not there yet. He's going to be a star. Uh, but uh, you know, in his draft class, he's going to be always compared to John Morant, who we all expect will win the Rookie of the Year. So uh, I ask you, Scott, who would you rather have for the next five years, Zion or John Morant? It's a really tough question. Um, I, I know you're going to make fun of me for sitting on the fence here, so I'm going to start out by presenting both sides and then I'll, I'll actually give you an answer. Um, the big thing for me is health, right? Because we, I mean, I, I have some health concerns with Ja, but at least right now it looks like he's going to be able to play 60 plus games a season at the very least, right? Whereas Zion, there are still some question marks there because like you're saying, he's only, he's played less than 30 games this season. Um, I think that's, that's a big part in this. But if you remove that, in a vacuum, if you're comparing Zion and John Morant, I think the answer has to be Zion. Because still, even though we just talked about all that defense stuff, he has the potential to be probably an all-NBA caliber defender. I don't know if he will get there, but he has the potential to be that. And then offensively, again, in those 19 games we saw before the season restart, he was one of the most dominant scorers in the league. And that's without him having a ton of skill. You know, being able to break guys down consistently off the dribble, um, having much of a jump shot at all. And if you just, you know, if he improves in those areas, even little bits over the next five, ten years or whatever, we're talking about a guy who's going to average potentially 30 points, eight rebounds a game um, with ridiculous efficiency. And then all of the, the way that he scores just makes it so much easier on his teammates because he, he collapses the defense and just creates so many openings. So for me, I, I would give Zion the edge, but the injury stuff is very concerning. And I, I, I don't think there's, if someone did say Jaw, um, you know, th there's not really a wrong answer. I don't think there's a wrong answer either. Uh, I think both are going to be great for the next five years. But I will say this, I am uh, partial to Jaw Morant in this situation. 
Um, I just think he might be easier to, and and you're gonna you're gonna kind of uh, you know go crazy when I say this. I think he might be easier to build around. Um, when you talk about Zion Williamson, yes, you don't need to make plays or or, or, or set have sets for him to score. Yes, you don't need to uh, cater to him offensively for him to get his numbers. Uh, but to maximize him, I think they're going to have to, and them being the Pelicans, going to have to start incorporating him into the offense and, and, and trying to get him, uh, you know, touches and and try to maximize his potential offensively at some point. And when that happens, I don't know that he's going to become the playmaker that he needs to be to be the number one option on a team. And you know, we're not. Zion wasn't number one pick overall in the draft to be the number two option who, you know, gets garbage buckets. He was the number one pick in the draft to be a box office star. And a part of being a box office star means that in late game situations, when uh, your team needs a basket, you need to have the ball in your hand and you need to make something happen. And it's going to be a while. And I said the next five years, it's going to be a while before we see that part of Zion's game develop. Um, and right now he doesn't have to do that because Brandon Ingram could become that closer. But I think, like I said, if you're drafting Zion as your number one overall pick, you want him to be the guy eventually, he's going to have to take over in those moments. And, uh, I'm afraid that he's, he's may not develop fast enough over the next five years for that to happen. And you be able to maximize his potential as a go-to player down the stretch. And I, and, and John Morant, who has been horrible in the clutch this season, at least we have evidence that he's willing to do that. He can do that. He just has to learn in those processes. The, the funny thing about Zion is there's not really a comparison for him. I know, I know people have kind of talked about Charles Barkley and I, I brought up Shaq's name. Those teams seem to kind of be the most popular comparisons for him. But stylistically, the the guy who kind of jumps out to me that I could kind of see Zion playing in a similar way is Giannis. Because I think ultimately to get the most out of him, you're going to want to surround him with three-point shooters. You're basically going to want him to function as a center on offense. So you're going to pair him with a, a traditional center who ideally would be able to space the floor in Brook Lopez and can kind of do the center things on defense, which is hang back in the paint, protect the rim and all that. So he can just fly around on, on uh, defense. So if that's the case, I don't necessarily know if he needs to be a guy who every single time down the court in the clutch, he has the ball in his hands. Because, kind of like you were saying, he he just gets his points any way that he can. He's a monster in transition because he can get up and down the court and jump higher than pretty much anyone. Um, he's impossible to keep off of the offensive glass. He, you can put him in a pick and roll as a roll man. I think he has a good enough handle or he will get to that point where he can run his own pick and rolls. So I don't really have as much of a concern um, as you do because I just think you put Zion on the court, anywhere he gets near to the paint, it just opens up so many things for other people. So I actually don't even think he needs to do that much to make an impact in those situations compared to like Ja, um, who, you know, I, I think Ja's fantastic, but there's still going to be questions about that pull-up three, which he actually made um, at a much higher percentage than I think anyone could have expected this season, that's going to be the make-or-break shot for him moving forward because with his speed, he can get by pretty much anyone. So teams are going to you know, catch on to that, and in the playoffs um, specifically, they're going to back off of him and dare him to kind of hit that shot. And if he can, that's going to open up his game tremendously, but if he can't, um, that's going to be a big obstacle for him. 
Yeah, I just have more confidence that he'll be able to develop a jump shot before Zion develops any sort of uh, ability to run pick and rolls uh, using his bounce and playmaking abilities. Like like uh, that jump shot that you know Ja has is fixable in my in my opinion. Um, let's spe- hey, speak. Hey, don't sleep. Don't sleep on Zion's passing. By the way, he's a, he's a good passer. He's not. He's, he's not going to be someone. He's not going to be someone who averages probably six plus assists per game in a season or anything. Sure. But he's more than capable of you know getting into the paint. Drawing a, a help defender over and kicking out to the right guy and making some high level reads, bounce passes back door and everything like that. I, he he's a pretty good passer. Yeah, but that says right now he's not been you know put in a position where he's had to face uh, you know different defensive schemes that are geared towards beating him the way that Giannis has. And Giannis, as you know, um, is a good passer and and and, and he's still developing uh, that part of his game. Um, you know, and this is he's he's going on his second MVP. You know, in five years, I can't see Zion being that type of uh, passer that you know Zion had, or even uh, rather, uh, Giannis has become in at this point in his career. Uh, it's gonna it's gonna take some time. You know, defenses haven't even started scheming for this dude yet. It's going to take some time. Um, so yeah, that that's that's my opinion on on the uh, the battle between those two. But there's no wrong answer there. Uh, the Portland Trailblazers, they're healthy. They look good. Uh, it seems like they're feeling good. Damian Lillard's playing great basketball. Uh, you know, uh, Yusuf Nurkic has come back and and looks like he wasn't even you know on the shelf for as long as he was. This Blazer team, if they get into the playoffs, and that's the goal here, um, can they upset the Lakers? Are they the biggest threat to the Lakers in the first round? I th- I think if you look at the teams that are fighting for that spot. I think they have the greatest potential to upset the Lakers, but I don't know if I would go as far as saying that they can. Because as good as they've been offensively in the bubble, they've been a disaster defensively. And <laughs> I, I just I have a hard time seeing them matching up with LeBron James and Anthony Davis to the point where they could actually win a series. Granted, the Lakers are going to have a hard time matching up with them because, you know, losing Avery Bradley, who has spent more time on the Lakers this season guarding point guards than anyone else really forces other players to step up. And suddenly, you're not just looking at Damian Lillard, who's arguably the best point guard in the league or one of the best point guards in the league. You're also looking at CJ McCollum, who's played, who's had some big games in the bubble, and we know what he's capable of. So that's going to put a lot of pressure on guys like Danny Green, um, Alex Caruso, potentially Dion Waiters and J.L. Smith, and, and maybe even Kyle Kuzma, uh, to kind of throw size at them and kind of slow them down. So there's definitely a situation where the, the Blazers make things interesting. But again... Look, the Lakers have been incredible this season. LeBron hasn't been as good in the bubble as he was prior to the season being suspended. He's still an MVP candidate. Anthony Davis is still a defensive player of the year candidate. Um, probably on the short list of MVP candidates this season. When you have a series, when you have the two best players on the court, that's usually enough to win. So I, I do have a hard time seeing the Blazers winning in that series, if it happens. Yeah, I, I expect the Blazers to get into the playoffs. I just don't expect them to do any damage when they get there. We're talking about the team that uh, you know ran away with the Western Conference even prior to the hiatus. And uh, I know that the Lakers haven't looked as good as they probably should have at this point in the bubble. I know that they're missing a lot of pieces, especially in the backcourt, uh, with guys sitting out uh, of, of the bubble. But they're still, you know, they're still LeBron James. They're still Anthony Davis. Those are two of the top five players in the league, and as as much as I love Damian Lillard, and you know I love him more than most, um, he he's not enough to get past Anthony Davis and LeBron James, and especially uh, you know with with the team that's around him. So I don't know here. I I uh, I'm iffy. I I think the Blazers will make it. 
but they'll they'll get in and and probably get swept or or you know push maybe a fifth game. I don't know how this helps them development wise because yes, Nurkic being back is awesome. You now see what you have with the healthy him and you know Damon Lillard. And had they had him all season long, they probably would be in the mix of you know fifth sixth seed in the Western Conference. But I feel like it's fool's goal for this team because. I don't know that they'll ever be able to break through to that championship level with this core. Like something's got to give, and 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 the odd man out seems to be TJ or sorry CJ McCollum. Um, and I don't know what like what what's the trade out there for a guy like him, who's uh, who's a really nice player, borderline all star on his best day. But you, what, what's the return? What do you look for if you're Portland? There's not many pieces out there that I could see them getting back that would put them over the edge. I think the big thing for them uh, in the bubble has just been the play of Yusuf Nokic because he came off a really serious injury, especially for a guy his size, um, breaking his leg, if I remember correctly. And he's looked really good, um, particularly not so much defense because they've been terrible defensively as a team, but offensively he's kind of looked like the player he was before he got injured. Um, And I think if you're the Blazers, you're banking that if he can return to the player he was last season before he got injured, because he was legitimately the second best player on that team. He was better than CJ McCollum last year before, before he got injured. If you have him get back to that point and the Blazers can get back to as good as they were last season, I think that's probably what the Blazers are banking in uh, going into next season. But I, I, I'm kind of with you. I do wonder if there's some fool's gold with this because... Even if they do get to that point, I still don't think they're going to beat a team like the Clippers, like the Lakers, uh, potentially not even the Nuggets or the Rockets. So, um, And I agree with you, too, that C.J. McCollum is probably the guy who would be traded in that situation because, look, Dame and C.J. have been awesome together. Um, right. This Blazers team has had a ton of success over the years, obviously have not won a championship, but they've had a ton of regular season success, made the Western Conference Finals last year. These are two, one of the best backcourts in the NBA, but... You know, if they traded CJ to get um, a better small forward or a power forward, would they be better in that regard? Would that take them to another level? Um, I, I don't really know the answer, to be honest, but I do think that there would be, there's definitely a market out there for CJ. Like, there's, I, I don't have a list right now um, in terms of like what teams make the most sense for him, but there are a lot of teams out there that could use CJ and would really benefit from having him. Um, just looking at now, actually, like a team like Denver, for example, that would be really interesting for him. Um, Dallas next to Luka, potentially. Um, so th- there's, there's definitely teams out there for him. Yeah, there's teams out there, uh, no question about it. I think all other all the other 29 teams would be happy to have C.J. McCollum. It's just, is, are, are, is there enough that another team could offer to make Portland that much better? Or are they forced to hang on to CJ McCollum and be who they are and who they have been over the last two to three seasons? Um, all right, let's move over to the Eastern Conference. The Raptors and Bucks are getting all the headlines in the Eastern Conference. It seems as though everyone that I listen to or speak to uh, keep telling me that this is a des- you know, the Eastern Conference Finals destined to be, you know, Raptors, Bucks. And uh, I think that we might be jumping the gun a little bit on that. There's there's Ooh. some good teams in the East. You know me. I, I admit when I'm wrong. I was absolutely wrong in the Philadelphia 76ers. Even if they were healthy, they would not make the NBA Finals. And they were my finals pick to come out of the Eastern Conference. So I will take the L on that. But the Miami Heat and the Boston Celtics should be in the convo. That It should be a top four in the East because I can see any one of those four teams, Miami, Boston, Milwaukee, or Toronto, get out of the Eastern Conference and be a real threat at winning the NBA championship. What say you? 
I'm with you on that. I think the the Raptors have proven to be just a dynamic team defensively, but I, I have concerns with them offensively, particular when it comes to scoring in the half court. And, you know, last week we saw what the, the, um, the Celtics did to them. And sure, that's a game that didn't necessarily have, you know, any bearing on the playoff picture because both teams were pretty much set. Um, neither team was really throwing everything out there because they could meet in the playoffs and everything. But I could absolutely see the Celtics playing the Raptors in the second round and beating them because they just match up so well with them. Um, the Heat is another team where uh, the Raptors actually really struggled against the Heat during the regular season. And the Heat had a ton of success against the the Bucks as well. And I know the, the Bucks beat them last week or whatever, but they didn't have Jimmy Butler. A few other guys were missing. But I think that would be a fascinating series. And we could get it in the second round with the, the Heat against the Bucks because... One, you have a coach in Eric Spolstra who's probably the closest thing to Nick Nurse in being able to concoct a scheme that I think would really be able to disrupt Giannis. But they also have the personnel with Bam Adebayo, who I think pound for pound might be the best Giannis defender in the league. And you have guys around him and Jimmy Butler, who's a really smart defender. And suddenly you can make things interesting enough um, for the Bucks defensively where you can kind of tip the scales um, potentially I don't know if I would necessarily pick the Heat to beat them in that series, but I'm with you in that there's a there's a there's a world in which the Heat do beat the Bucks in the second round, and there's a world in which the Celtics beat the Raptors, or you know one of those things happens. So I, I I'm totally with you that this is a four team race rather than just a two team one. Yeah, it's all going to come down to, in my opinion, how good Giannis can be. Has he he's taken the step in the regular season, but can he take this step? in the playoffs because he knows that each round even when it starts off with the magic they're all going to do the same things defensively to try and neutralize him can he find a way to still be effective but also put his teammates in great positions to be successful that's going to be the question in the eastern conference speaking of Giannis, over the weekend he was nominated for not one but two awards he was a finalist rather for not one but two awards we obviously know mvp but he's also in the discussion to win defensive player of the year lawrence scott and tim roy talk about that and the weekend that was in the bubble right here on nba sound system Hey, thank you so much with Tim Roy. We wanted to talk about some of the recent thrillers in the bubble and Jazz Nuggets on Saturday, double overtime. One of the biggest games of the year. Final seconds, here we go. Mitchell looked at the clock, heaves one up. Good if it goes, that's it. Denver's got a winner. That was a great game. That, that To be totally honest, watching them play down in Orlando, it's been harder for me. As much as I love watching the NBA, it's been harder for me to really get into it. That game, I was really into. I was riveted by that game, and and it was uh, great to see them go back and forth. Uh, Denver, remember we've been talking a little bit about how their backcourt has been healthy. They got Jamal Murray back, and that was a huge difference for them. You know, of course, the, the Jazz are missing Bogdanovich, uh, but I just thought that both teams were going back and forth like a playoff game. And that, to me, has been the best game uh, that that I've seen so far. They, they were no quarter, uh, no easy shots, going back and forth, intensity. There was strategy. There was excellent play. Again, a thoroughly enjoyable basketball game, and it's got me fired up about the NBA. You know, it gets you thinking, you know, really, as great as Jamal Murray was in that game, Donovan Mitchell in the loss was super strong, but it just didn't come out for the Jazz in this particular game. 
Yeah, you know, it's it's um, he Mitchell's very good, he, but he is a scorer. He's not a shooter. So he's a volume shooter. So if he gets 26 points, usually it takes him about 20 shots. So sometimes that can be problematic for the Jazz. And I think what they have to find now is a solid secondary score. Can it be Joe Ingles to be that guy? Can it be uh, Rudy Gobert off of their high screen roll? But they have to find that secondary score if they're going to make a dent in the playoffs. I, I think Utah, just because of their margin is thin and they again, they really miss a guy like Bogdanovich. You know, they're you know, it's, at the time of this taping they're right in that you know, race with Houston, Oklahoma City, and of course the Jazz. They're all right there, a game and a half separating four from six with about three games left. So they're in a precarious position. If they started the playoffs today, which they don't, as we know, uh, but it would be Denver and Utah, and that would be a series that I would like to see. So I think I think the Jazz would like to stay. I don't think the Jazz would mind staying in sixth spot simply because they don't match up well with the Houston Rockets. They can't, for whatever reason, the Rockets are a team that the Jazz have trouble handling. And so I think, you know, a Denver series to them, I think, would be a lot more. Uh, uh, they could solve that series, I think, better than the, than the Rockets. And talk about scoring. You got another 50-plus point game from Portland's Damian Lillard, the Oakland native. 51 points in a bounce-back game on Sunday. The Blazers lost Saturday to the Clippers, but then beating Philly on Sunday to keep things very interesting, Tim. Yeah, you know, uh, Portland, they're mystifying to me right now. And I think part of it is I we're underrating working Nurkic and to a certain extent, Collins back into their lineup. I think that uh, I, I think that 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 they just aren't in rhythm yet. And and the reason I say that is their game against Philadelphia. Philadelphia and Bede went out during that game. Simmons, of course, we know is out. So that should have been a very winnable game for Portland, but it came right down to the wire. They had a 17-point lead. They were in control of the game, and they took their foot off the gas, and Lillard had to do Lillard-like things to help them win that game. By the way, that's his 10th 50-plus game of his career. 10 that's that's incredible, and so uh, so I think Portland is a team that 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 kind of makes me scratch my head a little bit. But I think they're in the driver's seat to get to that play-in game. They're only a half game back of of uh, Memphis at the time of this taping, and 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 I think you know San Antonio's not going away, uh, and so. You know, and and Phoenix is theoretically still alive. They've been the best team in the bubble. So uh, Portland's got work to do, and I think they need to find that chemistry sooner than later. But Lillard was fantastic against Philadelphia, and I think that loss to the Clippers that happened on Saturday, I think, and the social media fallout of that, I think that's really going to uh, be something to, to, to watch, how he plays from, from here on in. You, know, you talk about the 
Philadelphia 76ers, and you mentioned it, Joel Embiid leaving that game against Portland with an ankle injury. Plus, there was news over the weekend, of course, that Ben Simmons now to have surgery on his left knee. Playoff success for Philly, a legit question, as on NBA TV, the question asked of Brendan Haywood and Channing Frye was, where do the Sixers go from here? Where the Sixers go from here is uh, home as soon as they get to the first round of the playoffs. There's a strong chance to get matched up with the Boston Celtics. And without Ben Simmons, I just don't see how they're going to match up. Ben Simmons is a great playmaker. I know he has some shooting uh, deficiencies, but he's still a great playmaker and a great defensive player. They're going to miss that. A lot more attention is going to be play- paid to Joel Embiid. He's got the dominate inside. Ben Simmons will be missed. Channing, your thoughts? I'll be honest. I think it comes down to I don't think Ben Simmons and Joel Embiid are a good matchup for that team. So obviously I hope Ben Simmons has a wonderful surgery and gets healthy um, and has an opportunity to play somewhere else. But right now it's about Joel Embiid. Can he lead this team? Um, Can he prove the doubters wrong? And can he be more consistent in his effort? Channing Fry saying that before we saw an ankle injury to Joel Embiid, but you look at uh, what the situation is, Tim, and, and your take on the Sixers playing in a playoffs without Ben Simmons. What happens? Well, I, I think they they really need him to control uh, the you know the the offense, and they they also need the, you know he's got length on defense. I think you know without him. I, I think it really changes the way they they can play, you know, because Simmons can can go in, he can post up smaller players. He is a great distributor of the ball, and now I think everybody has to work a lot harder on their own. And so, um, and again, we don't know how the ankle for Joel Embiid's going to respond. And so, uh, again, I, I I hate to say this, but I I really think it's going to be very difficult for them to advance because. The fact Boston's really, really good. They're healthier, and and Philadelphia right now is down one of their two best players, and their other is coming off an ankle injury. It's going to be very difficult for the Sixers, I think, to move on in this year's playoffs. Other news from the weekend was uh, NBA awards finalists named, and uh, let's start with the MVP award. Giannis, LeBron, and James Harden, the finalists, as we look at what we're seeing here is what this race really is and what it has been are we seeing what would be the first back-to-back since Stephen Curry with Giannis taking home the award or might something else be in store I I think Giannis deserves it I think he's had the best year and I think uh, Milwaukee has been the class of the league since the you know the opening tip and so um, I think so I think he deserves that I think you know both the, the other two guys are great I don't know why we have to narrow it down to finalists, though. I think we should have an, you know, an open. Well, I, I believe in open elections, don't you, Lawrence? Uh, um, yeah. But, <laughs> but I, I think Giannis is the choice there. All right, defensive player of the year, Giannis in the mix, along with Anthony Davis and Rudy Gobert. Nice to see Draymond Green on set at TNT for Inside the NBA, weighing in on. His pick. Uh, For my defensive player of the year, I got to go with AD. I think he came out in the beginning of the year and said, I want to be the defensive player of the year. And he's backed that up. He blocks shots. He guards guards. He's really held the pain down for for the Lakers. And, you know, obviously they've played two bigs. But what AD been able to do inside and outside, he's got to be the defensive player of the year, in my opinion. You know, Draymond has one of these awards, probably should have. Two, uh, but in this regard, he's seeing Anthony Davis, and and I I agree. Um, 
do you see that any differently? You know, uh, I'd have to really, I haven't, I haven't studied the defensive side as much, um, but I, I have to say that, you know, I always, you know, defense is, is such a hard, it's such a hard award for me because defense is five guys playing together. So to narrow it down to one guy has always been a little problematic for me. But I will say this, that to me, if you look at it, the Bucks are two points better in defensive rating than any other team. And they're three points better than the Lakers as a defensive team. So in my mind... I'd have to, if you're narrowing it down, I'd have to go with Giannis because simply because the, the Bucks are that much better than everybody else. The team that's really interesting is is the team that's in between the Lakers and the Bucks, and that is Toronto. And they, again, that to me says that we can't overlook them in the playoffs because they're that good defensively. They're that tied in. And so, you know, the the five best defensive teams in the league are the Bucks, the Raptors, the Lakers, the Celtics, and the Clippers. And so those are teams to me that have to be right at the top as teams you think can win the NBA title. With Tim Roy, I'm Lawrence Scott. Thank you so much for listening to NBA Sound System. 